fourth straight loss. The Sooners managed to get past the Jayhawks and head into the bye week. We're about halfway through the season, and it's time to review some things. We'll get into that here in just a moment. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez alongside my co-hosts, Tyler Burton and Corbin Polson. Guys, how are we feeling tonight? Cold. <laughs> Woke <laughs> yep. up 36 degrees in, in uh, Oklahoma this morning. So, yeah, winter's definitely here. Uh, fall is over. Uh, but, yeah, feeling good, guys. Back in the wind column. I mean, I don't think fall is over, uh, but sure. I don't think it got that cold here in Colorado, but it's been a beautiful fall out here. So uh, winter's not arrived, I guess, in the colder state. So sounds about right. Go abs, though, right? Go abs. Go nice abs. win last night, boys. Six to three. <laughs> Six to yeah. three. Might be uh, might be going checking out a couple games pretty soon, Corbin. Can't wait, man. I got half season tickets, so I have Ooh, a few extra for you. Go. There we go. There we nice. go. God, Corbin and I on good terms on a podcast. Man, this 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 truly is something Just special. Enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you, you're right, Adam. Great to see this Oklahoma football team bounce back in a big way, get the W. I think that this team and this coaching staff um, showed a lot of resilience and mental toughness to come back home um, after three straight uh, three straight losses, uh, getting embarrassed in Dallas, losing forty nine to nothing against your arch rival. Put together, I think, what was their best performance since the Nebraska game. It was great to see. And, guys, we're seven weeks into the season. This bye week comes at an absolute perfect time. We're four and three. It's always better to go into a bye week off of a win as opposed to a loss. Get in the film room. Take care of your body. Get some extra work and prep done on Iowa State. And just try to mentally prepare yourself for this last five-week stretch because it's going to be a grind to close out Big 12 play. Man, guys, what what a difference a weekend makes. Uh you know, doom and gloom the past few weeks, just praying that you don't get blown out at home by Kansas. Now all of a sudden you come out with a win and you look at the schedule, Iowa State, Baylor, West Virginia, Bedlam, Tech, at least four of those. I'm like, I can see a win. Don't know that we're going to get it, but I can see it. So going to be really interesting down the stretch, guys. But what could have been if the Sooners lose to Kansas at home and the chaos that would have ensued after that? we don't have to uh, worry about anymore. So at least for a couple weeks, we get to, uh, to be happy. And uh, I, I guess kind of an upset. I know we were favorites, but kind of an upset rankings wise at home against Kansas. Who would have thought? I was definitely impressed with the mentality because, you know, you come off some really bad losses, three in a row, uh, two by where you're giving up, you know, f- over 40 points easily in both games. And I think the fans were a little bit overreactionary. I, I was telling my wife on my way down to Norman Saturday morning, it was like, yeah, I think I think we're just overreacting a little bit too much to that OU Texas game where OU had no ammo really to throw on offense. And it felt like the coaching almost was out of ideas or maybe even potentially just kind of threw that game at a certain point because they're like, what are we going to do really? Um, but the team responded really well. It looked like that confidence was uh, fully back on offense. And I think it did help the defense a little bit as well. And the offense, you know, executed early and often to take that pressure off the defense so that even though the game was tied in the first quarter, um, even though you only held a lead by seven points at certain points, it felt like almost like, yeah, it just feels, it feels like you're not too worried about things. Yeah. It's amazing how not just the performance of the football team, but the overall psyche and the confidence level of this OU squad or this past weekend, how it just kind of seemed to to take it to that next level when you've got a, you know, a fully functioning quarterback that's able to run the offense and complete a pass longer than 10 yards, guys. Um, wow. What a difference it makes having Dylan Gabriel back uh, as opposed to what we saw for the last six quarters with Davis Bevel. So uh, really good stuff uh, from Dylan Gabriel. I think that as a football team right now, obviously, 
Um, all of your goals are out the window at this point right now. You're not you're not making the college football playoff. Chances are, I think we have like a less than five percent chance. All hell would have to break loose for OU to get the two slot in the Big Twelve championship mm-hmm. game. But I think at this point right now, you're four and three. You're going going into the bye week. Yes, the last five weeks of the season are going to be very very tough. Um, with you know, like you said, Corbin. I could see Oklahoma finding a way to go 5-0. I could also see it just as easily them going 0-5. So that's the the nature of the beast playing in the Big 12 this year with the team that Oklahoma's got right now. Um, but yeah, uh, very, very excited about it. It's going to be a lot of fun to see. And I think that even though all of your big goals are out the window at this point, I think that Brent Venables and this coaching staff keeping this team together, like what we saw over the last seven days in Norman, continuing to you know in uh, in you know build the culture, you know in uh, install their systems, get the young guys more and more snaps coming into a bye week. We saw Robert Spears Jennings get a lot of snaps over the over uh, the course of the game against Kansas. Young guys using this opportunity over the next seven days, uh, get some more reps, get some more uh, time in the film room. I think Oklahoma is is in a good spot right now going into the back half of the season. Definitely. And I guess, I don't know, do you guys have anything else really specific to the Kansas game? Because I think once we get into kind of a mid-year review, I think that's where we'll probably want to live and discuss mostly. Do you guys have anything else as far as the Kansas game that you're wanting to uncover? I don't think so. No, okay. no, I don't think so. So, so, so let's take this. I, I wanted to kind of recap. We're a little bit more than midway through seven games uh, in the books already for the Sooners. Not exactly how we expected things to go. Although a lot of people said nine and three, that's still possible. It seems unlikely, but still possible. Um, but let's take a, a look back and just kind of give some, I don't want to give it necessarily like a grade because that's kind of, um, kind of boring, but let's talk about Dylan Gabriel first here. He is, has played in, I guess, about five and a half games because of the injuries so far. He's on track, and I hate to be the the on-pace guy because you don't know what he's going to look like against you know continued higher competition, but he's on track for about 3,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, only one interception that happened this past Saturday against Kansas, which some say may or may not have been his fault. It's, it's un- unclear who... Uh, you know, misread that particular route. Uh, and then rushing wise, he's actually six yards away from his all time high in a particular season already. So as it stands today, you know, what do you guys think as far as Dylan Gabriel's performance above expectations, below expectations, or, or possibly even on par slightly below. I don't think I was quite as high on him as some others. Um, I thought he would be a really good quarterback. I think I feel different about him now than I did three weeks ago. Feel my honest opinion. Uh, I think the Kansas game helped seeing what happened in down in Dallas without him helps. Uh, so, I, but if you look at him, just, just for him, not what he necessarily means for the team, I'd say he's just below probably what my, what I expected. Um, still plenty of opportunity there, especially in the, the K state game early on in the TCU game where plenty of throws to be had, didn't hit them, you know, the game kind of went sideways from there. So, um, yeah, I'd say j- just below what, what I thought he would be. Yeah, I'm I'm actually going to um, sit on the fence with this and I think that the expectations that I had for Dylan Gabriel coming into the season I think that he's kind of kind of played up to what I expected, you know. Uh, obviously, uh, there's been a lot of times where you know he's missed some throws, the consistency hasn't been there, maybe quite like quite like what we've expected, but also at the same time, we didn't have a chance to watch a ton of UCF football over the last couple of years watching play on a game by game basis. We're spoiled with the quarterback play that's been here in Norman over the last 5 to 6 years, but you know, just looking at his stats halfway through the season, completing 65% of his passes, just a hair over 1,600 passing yards. He's 
he's missed one game. He was, I guess he's technically missed a game and a half, 13 touchdowns, one interception. Guys, if you would have told me that Dylan Gabriel would be completing close to 70% of his passes, 13 scores to just one turnover, and this Oklahoma football team would, you know, be averaging five yards a carry uh, collectively on the ground, I would think that, okay, you know, Oklahoma's probably sitting here at 7-0, and maybe 6-1, and but there's been a lot of things that have impacted this Oklahoma football team and have impacted Dylan Gabriel uh, outside of his control. So um, as far as expectations, I think he's met him, um, but there's definitely a lot of room to improve. And I think that the game against Kansas on Saturday, where he threw for over 400 yards and a couple of scores, I thought that was his best game of the season. For me, I think he's slightly exceeding expectations, mainly because I've been impressed with the way he's been able to lead this offense. He doesn't look like he's outmanned in a power five program like a lot of group Mm -hmm. of five uh, quarterbacks do once they move up to that next level. So I've been very impressed with that, his leadership. I don't think he's necessarily missed wide open guys very often in terms of just not throwing it to them. He's usually, you know, seeing that guy and, and making a throw, whether it's, you know, generally on target, but sometimes it's not completely off. So my expectations maybe were a little bit lower than, than maybe other people coming into the year, just knowing that he came from a a group of five programs. So maybe that's where I get the slightly above expectations. I did think in a weird way, like the concussion kind of helped him with this fan base so much because we had the opportunity (laughs) to see what was behind him. And he went from, I think what would have been the most underappreciated quarterback since Landry Jones to one guy that I think people will actually respect and love a lot more once his time in Norman is wrapped mm-hmm. up. We'll see how next year goes because there's going to be a, a big-time freshman behind him. But I think overall the perception has changed dramatically over the last three weeks for obvious reasons. You think he's kinda... more underappreciated than Jalen? I don't know. Jalen is kind of – I feel like he's getting more props because he's been even better in the NFL than he was in Norman in some ways. Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm kind of giving Dylan Gabriel the LeBron James comparison from a standpoint of basically from the time that LeBron has been in the league, starting with the Cleveland Cavaliers all the way through his time with the Heat and now with the L.A. Lakers. If LeBron's on the team, you know, for 95% of the seasons that he's played in the NBA, they've been the one or the two seed. You take LeBron James off of that team, then that team is fighting for a playoff spot, probably not even reaching the playoffs. So I think that if there's one thing that we can compare this with Dylan Gabriel, we saw how dark and gloomy it can get when Dylan Gabriel is not a part of this football team. When Dylan Gabriel is out there playing quarterback for OU, they can win every. They have a chance to win every single game that they play on their schedule. If he's not, I don't think Oklahoma wins a football game the rest of the year, maybe against any other Power 5 opponent. So, uh, yeah, you guys are shaking well, your head right what now. What a take. Who's Dwayne Wade on this team? <laughs> I guess the the point that I'm making is LeBron James. What about Kyrie his, Irving? His, yeah, his his va- LeBron's value to his team over the over the course of his career. I would make that same comparison right now with Dylan Gabriel. When he's on the field playing well, this team's this team's on fire. When he's not a part of the action, this is not a very good team in college football. It's like I was saying. I'm glad we enjoyed that moment at the beginning of the podcast, Tyler. Kids gone. Uh, comparing that's not a, that's not a fair that's not a fair comparison. Talking comparing, about how valuable he is to his team, you can make the argument he's the most valuable player to his team in college football. Yeah, but I think there are a lot of valuable players you could have gone with. Instead, you went for probably arguably the best player in NBA history. 
and LeBron James. So I don't think what you're saying is wrong. The comparisons where it's a little question. I'm not talking point. about from a talent standpoint. I'm just thinking of, I'm talking about in terms of the value of said player to his yeah. team. So thanks. Thanks for clarifying. Well, yeah. maybe you guys will agree on this one uh, as far as what your opinion That's is of Jeff Levy so far. Uh, Jeff Levy was a guy that came to Norman that I think a lot of people thought was possibly the best offensive coordinator in the country. Of course, we're not talking about guys that are also acting as head coaches like Ryan Day or Adam, Logan he's, Those he's are the time. LeBron James of offensive coordinators. <laughs> Just want to specify. <laughs> um, but everyone was super excited about him. I, I know there were some people that were wondering, you know, did Lane Kiffin handle most of that offense at Ole Miss? And Jeff Levy's coming to Norman, and he had a great outing this past Saturday. Uh, 700 and I think 10 yards it was, 715 against Kansas. It was the second highest total uh, since 2018 in a conference game. Uh, for the Sooners. So he's had some really good moments. I think he's also frustrated some OU fans, but do you guys think that we got the best available offensive coordinator? Yes. Not even close. Who who else would be on that list? I have no clue to be, well, to be I mean, honest. You, th- you think about some of the best offensive minds in the game of college football. They're all head coaches, Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day, Josh Heupel right now at Tennessee yeah. with what he's doing to Hinton Hooker. Yeah. I mean, in terms of an offensive coordinator, you, you're probably hard-pressed to find one. Yeah. I think for me, what I like about his offense so much is it's, it is pretty simple. There's lots of guys that are, are schemed to be wide open. Um, the We saw the, the short passing game this past Saturday that was really an extension of the run game. The only complaint that I really have is I would like to see more running of the ball from the actual running backs. There seems to be plenty of dry spells where it's pass, 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 quarterback run, pass, pass, pass. And we don't see the tailbacks involved nearly as much as I would like, especially when you are often going to have the better talent on the offensive line, the better running backs. I, I would like to see him strategically use the running game to help out that defense a little bit more than he currently is. But I think overall, I like the way that mm-hmm. offense looks. It doesn't seem like it's too overly complicated in comparison to what Lincoln Riley was running. Let's let's so take a quick look at the stats though. Cause so you're, I, I think Adam, I see, I see what you're seeing, but I think the stats say something different. Cause if you look at the Kansas game, even taking away Gabriel's runs, and I guess you've got stoops in there for two runs, Braden Willis for a run. So take away 13 runs. And it's basically 50 50 in, in, in passing to, to rushing attempts. Yeah. I would like it to be more like 60 40. <laughs> yeah. But is, seven, is 701 yards of total offense not good enough? I mean, 52 three, points. 300 yards rushing. It, it's oh. nitpicky, but you look at the way that game started, and maybe it was to give Dylan Gabriel you know confidence, but there wasn't a tailback carry, I think, until like right there at the very end of that first drive at the goal line. You look at the uh, TCU game when he was still in at quarterback. There was a stretch where I think over two drives, a running back did not get a carry. It just it just feels like that. If you, if your offense is humming like it is against Kansas, you you kind of get away with it. It's fine. You're just doing whatever you want. But then there's other scenarios like against K-State where you go three and out really quickly, very early. You don't take any time off the clock and your defense has to run back out there. And that can really hurt you and shoot you in the foot, in a sense, if you aren't running the ball you know, a little bit more at the uh, at the beginning and not going through dry spells without running back carries, in my opinion. I think that's what you that's, that's kind of the give and take you have to have. Take the good with the offense, bad. Offense, yeah. though. Yeah. I mean, you could run the ball and you could get stuffed, you know, for minus two yards rush for three and you're like why didn't we pass you know so i want it to be perfect (laughs) yeah well we have gotten used to perfect a lot around here but i don't think that's something that uh you know you can expect every season unfortunately 
Well, I'm just glad that we didn't fire Jeff Levy after the 49 nothing performance with with uh, Davis Belfield going 6 of 12 for 38 yards like a lot of OU fans wanted them to happen. There might be one on this podcast that was not impressed with what Jeff Levy has had to do. But, guys, it's amazing what happens when your starting quarterback is healthy. It's amazing how much easier it is as an offensive coordinator calling plays when your offensive line is playing the best brand of football that we've maybe seen in Norman since uh, 2020 or maybe even 2019 go a little bit further back. But I think that the proof's kind of in the pudding right now. Once you do have a healthy Dylan Gabriel, once you do have a dominant offensive line that is playing extremely well, Eric Gray has looked the best that he ever has in an Oklahoma uniform over the past three weeks of the season. Um, and, you know, Marvin Mims, 16 targets in one game. Adam, I think you you're the, you were the one that put that tweet out. When You know, getting the ball to your best players, making that a focus – that makes your job as a play caller so much easier when you've got the amount of skill talent that Oklahoma does. Now, uh, is Oklahoma going to be able to put up 700 yards on every opponent on the rest of the schedule? No, there's going to be you know there's going to be a little bit more um, uh, difficulty going up against these last five opponents. You know, there's really I don't think that there's one bad defense left on the schedule. Maybe outside of Texas Tech, uh, but we'll see how Oklahoma goes on the road and plays. But I guess the bottom line, guys, is you know what Jeff Levy is doing with the cards that he was dealt with Dylan Gabriel as his quarterback, I think that he's done an extremely good job in a, in the limited time that he's been on campus here in Norman. Once he gets, you know, Jaquez Petaway, Anthony Evans, Jackson Arnold, some of the other guys that are coming in, his guys are going to be able to run his scheme uh, even better than, you know, what's currently on campus right now. I think that it's just going to, things are going to get even bigger and brighter <laughs> for Oklahoma. So yes, Jeff Levy is one of the best offensive minds in football, and Oklahoma did a damn good job in hiring him away from Ole Miss. We we may be back to fire Levy, uh, depending on how this Iowa State game goes, because Iowa State's probably the best defense this team's going to face, potentially all year. I've been giving up a season high of 31 against Baylor, 24 against Texas, 10 against K-State, 14 against Kansas. Pretty salty, guys. Those are some pretty good numbers on the board. I'm curious, though, because I think all of us heading into the season when considering Dylan Gabriel, it seemed very apparent that this was a one-year guy who was going to head the NFL after the season's done. I think everybody kind of thought that was his his plan. What percentage at this point in the season, and obviously a long way to go that could change things, at this point in the season, what percentage do you have him coming back for next season? 95 yeah, you think there, I would, do you think I would I, agree I just with that? Yeah, yeah I, yeah. I feel like he needs more tape, and the the quarterback class of Sam Hartman, of Hendon Hooker, of um, Bryce Young, you know, Bryce Young, DTR, CJ Stroud. Like, there's just names after name after name of you know guys that are are probably going to be draft picks. And Dylan Gabriel is he better than any of those guys? I'm not sure. No. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't it, think so. Yeah. Another note on Jeff Levy that kind of flows into our, our next point here that we wanted to ask was about Brent Venables in-game coaching. He's allowed Jeff Levy to go for uh, 16 fourth down attempts. So use only about 500 on those attempts. But that was a, a curious question that we had coming into the season was how will Brent allow that, you know, those fourth down attempts that Ole Miss was known for. Um, he seems to let it happen pretty often. He trusts Levy in, the, in that play calling. But overall, Brent Venables as an in-game coach, so many unknowns. How have you guys felt about his performance in the game so far? Um, 
I'm on, I've honestly been pretty okay with it. I mean, just going back as recently as, you know, the right before halftime against Kansas, Oklahoma going forward on the fourth mm-hmm. and goal. I understand, you know, fans wanting to kick it in that situation, make it a three-possession game with Kansas getting the ball coming out of halftime. But I love the aggressiveness that Brent Venables coached with on Saturday going forth and on fourth and goal. You know, guys, one, that shows confidence in your offensive line. But two, that sends a message to your football team that, you know, we're going to line up and try to deliver the knockout punch right here before halftime, go up three scores. Uh, and really, you know, back Kansas into a corner. So I think that if you really wanted to, you know, really wanted to dive deep down into it, if you did have any, if we could sit here and complain about, you know, some of the in-game coaching, yes, I think that you maybe uh, could highlight some of the personnel changes that maybe we would have wanted to see, especially in some games where, you know, either the game's out of hand or there's a certain player that's getting beat or is missing tackles nonstop that the other team's picking on him. So I, I would say that maybe from a personnel standpoint, I would might have a bone to pick with some of the things that BV's done. But outside of that, I mean, it's, it's year one. You're playing with the cards you're dealt. He's doing what he has to do to win football games, and we'll see how that continues. Yeah, I wouldn't say much different. Uh, I think if anything, over these past three weeks, I think we've realized the, the lack of potential talent uh, that's really on this team and what he's having to deal with. So even though that we can look back and say, you know, maybe you should have played this guy or that guy, I think it's a pretty raw roster. Um, and so unfortunately he's just, as Tyler mentioned, kind of playing the cards he was dealt. So as long as the season can be salvageable, he can save this recruiting class. I think this is more of a conversation for year two, year three. Um, what does that look like when he's got a little bit more of his roster uh, put together and, most likely, again, holding together this recruiting class, most likely more talented rosters coming. It does feel like he's had his hands tied behind his back mm-hmm. in the last couple of weeks. But the first three weeks of the year, we were big fans of the adjustments that he made in the game. When you saw some of these teams with lesser competition coming into Norman uh, or going to Lincoln for Nebraska, you know those teams had some decent moments in the first quarter in the first half of those games. And OU adjusted over time. And uh, I, I like that. I also liked, you know, the aggression, like we mentioned, going for it on fourth down, going for it, um, you know, at the end of the half against Kansas or uh, the fake field goal against Texas uh, didn't end up ha- helping the Sooners in the long run. But I like the aggression. You don't typically see that from a defensive coach. So uh, I love that that's the direction that he's he's got the program going in. Now, in regards to the talent, we can't ignore the defense completely in our midseason review there's been some really bad things over the last couple of weeks. So we don't need to dwell on those necessarily, but is there a player or, or multiple players that you're looking at that you can say, yeah, this is a guy that can be a building block and something that we should be excited about going into 2023. I think ideally in a perfect world with the right personnel, you'd like to build your defense from the inside out. That starts with elite defensive tackles, elite inside linebackers. And, you know, unfortunately I don't think that we have, um, those guys on the defensive line right now, we're seven weeks in. I think that that's fair to say at this point. So if I'm Brent Venables moving forward, not just for the back half of the season, but I think also moving into 2023, um, you know, one, uh, two guys that really stick out to me that you could kind of mold this thing around as being, you know, the young, talented nucleus of this defense. Uh, it For me, it starts with Billy Bowman, you know, a guy that has been playing his best football in an Oklahoma uniform, you know, at the start of this season. Um, we could you can really tell a difference um, from the time that he went out uh, after that kickoff return against TCU. From that point forward, the struggles in the in the secondary, the the missed tackles, the miscommunications, the busted assignments. We didn't see that in the first three weeks. Now again, is that a, is that a testament to them installing more uh, 
uh, more wrinkles into the defense? Is that a testament to playing better competition? I don't know. It's probably a factor of all of it, but there's no doubt about it. When Billy Bowman's on the field, Oklahoma's playing, playing their best football. And then second for me, I know he's struggled a little bit at times over the course of the year, especially with identifying what's going on in the backfield, maybe overthinking too much, chopping his feet, not flying from side to side, especially uh, once we've gotten into Big 12 play. And for me, that's Danny Stutzman. I think, you know, if you go back and you look at what Brent Venables and Ted Roof have said about this guy all the way from the preseason through his performances against Kent State and Nebraska. And, you know, guys, I know he had a tough week against Texas, but going back and watching a little bit more uh, of the Kansas game, Danny played extremely well, except for maybe a handful of plays. But I think that Billy Bowman and Danny Stutzman, those are two extremely talented guys, high football IQ individuals, and those are probably the two pillars that you should build this defense around moving forward. Yeah, I think if you had to choose to, that'd probably be them. I think if you look at some of the younger guys, I think they're as as a combined unit, I think it, they can be built around. Is there one particular guy that has all the tools and all the ability to to build around one particular one? No. You look at Robert Spears Jenning, or Mason Thomas, uh, Jaron Canick, like all of these guys have the potential to be that building block, but they just haven't shown it quite yet. Now, have they had the opportunity to? I think that's something we've discussed before. Maybe they should have more opportunity to prove that's them. But at the same time, I think those guys in particular, I think there's enough there where as a unit they can be built upon, but not not quite there as far as just a single guy who individually can uh, can make that claim. Yeah, I, I like Billy Bowman and the reasons that you mentioned there, Tyler. For me, he's just too far away from the line of scrimmage. So I don't know that you can build your defense around the safety nearly as much. Mm-hmm. The cheetah position a little bit closer because that's going to roam a little bit more, but Deshaun White's gone after this year, so he's not a building block. Um, Danny Stutzman, I like. I think he's been solid this year, but I would have liked to have seen him take a bigger jump, and maybe we will see that as the season winds down. So then I'm left with, okay, like your defensive lineman, like no, no one there is making a difference. But the guy that I guess I'm <clears throat> most interested to watch over the next five games is R. Mason Thomas. What he's doing and the twitchiness and speed that he has is a lot more reminiscent of some of the elite pass rushers that we've seen. Um, we haven't had a whole lot, but think Eric Stryker, think um, you know Obo Okoronkwo. I think those those you know that's kind of the mold that he could become. He's Benito. doing he's doing what Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs are trying to do, but he's just faster. So mm-hmm. while those guys are trying to, you know, turn the corner and get all the way around the tackle, they're really just getting pushed out of the play most of the time. But our Mason Thomas is a guy that's actually beating the tackle to that spot and able to get around there. So um, he's going to get a lot of playing time. He was a guy that the coaches loved in the preseason. He played a lot early and often then had some injuries that kind of held him back. So if he can develop into an elite pass rusher and get some, you know, something consistent there, that helps this defense a ton. Again, we saw it again happen uh, this past Saturday against Kansas where Jason Bean was just tossing it right in between the linebackers and the safeties in that zone coverage. And that's because there's no one that's able to put any pressure on the quarterback. They have the ability to watch those intermediate and deep passes develop and just uh, toss an easy one in there. So, And I think that that's something, Adam, that gets kind of lost in the shuffle with a lot of the OU fan base. You know, pe- people want to sit there and they want to bash the play of the secondary or the linebackers anytime, you know, a, a pass is given up over the middle. But at the same time, too, I don't care if you're Ohio State. I don't care if you're Alabama. I don't care if you're Georgia. I don't care if you're the New England Patriots. If you don't have a defensive line that can get pressure on the quarterback, it doesn't matter. Uh what, what the back end is doing. If you're going to give the opposing team's quarterback the ability to sit back there, he's going to pick you apart. So 
again, R. Mason Thomas, I think that's a re- really, really good one. Um, and moving forward, once he gets another summer with Schmidt, he is able to put on another 20 to 30 pounds, be able to utilize his skill set as a bigger man. There's your growth report for the evening. Um, yeah, R. Mason Thomas, that's a really good one as well. <clears throat> We asked Twitter, so make sure to follow us at the Mainline Pod. We asked Twitter to predict the record over the final five games for the Sooners. They play three games on the road, Iowa State, West Virginia, and Texas Tech, and then arguably the two tougher opponents at home in Baylor and Oklahoma State. The most popular response we got was probably three and two. Um, I like Strubalicious Def, uh, their response. I don't know what the name means, but I like it. Uh, he said, uh, with the way we've played three and two, we have the talent to go five and oh, though which I think is is a pretty fair statement. Where do you guys fall as far as the record the rest of the year, and where do you think any potential losses come from? Whew, I, I don't feel good about Bedlam, if you want me to be honest. Uh, that one, I think, is the game I'm least confident in. Uh, having Baylor at home helps. I, I think we'll learn a lot, guys, in, when we when we go up to Ames, I think we're going to learn a lot about how these last five games are going to go. I, I think this is a really, really, really good Iowa State defense, and we know OU doesn't have a good defense. And so, you know, for the most part, Iowa State's been in these low-scoring games. So if you can go up to Ames and win, put yourself at 5-3, and three, then all of a sudden you get Baylor at home. That's manageable. They're going to be a good test, but it's manageable. Baylor's not who we thought, or I guess who the, the majority of the national media thought, were at the beginning of the year. You would think West Virginia and Tech, those are winnable games as well. So to me, the only like what I would consider for sure a loss at the moment is Bedlam. So if you look at it from that way, it's four and one. At the same time, I don't trust this team enough to go four and one down the stretch. So I think it's more likely three and two or two and three. And it just depends on which freaking team shows up in these senior uniforms each Saturday. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you as well, Corbin. At Iowa State, Baylor, at West Virginia, OSU, and then at Texas Tech to close out the year. I'm going three and two as well. I think that we're going to take two out of the three on the road, and then we're going to split the home games between Baylor and Oklahoma State. Um, Iowa State is tricky. You know, you always think about, you know, coming off of a bye week. That's when you're supposed to play your best brand of football. That's when you're the most prepared. Iowa State's coming off of a loss to Texas where they honestly kind of got screwed. Um, but they're also they've got a bye week as well. So that's going to be a tricky game up in Ames uh, here in two weeks. Baylor's a tough one. Blake Shapin, I don't think he's been quite as good as what a lot of people expected. Um, and that includes Dave Aranda. The defense has been a little shaky at times. Uh, at West Virginia, D- JT Daniels, uh, he's as likely to throw five interceptions as he is to throw three or five interceptions as he is to throw five touchdowns. So I don't know what I'm going to get out of that. Oklahoma historically has been good in, uh, in Morgantown. OSU, I, I'm probably chalking that up as a loss right now. Uh, and then at Texas Tech, I, I hate to say it, Texas Tech at night to close out the season. Uh, that one scares me as well. So go 3-2 and two over the next five weeks, finish 7-5, and five, go to a bowl game, win the bowl game, um, and have some good momentum going into the next season. I think that after a 3-3 three and three start, if you can figure out a way to go 7-5, and five, get yourself to a bowl game, win it, I think that that – I know that that's not the expectation – but that's a salvageable season after what this ultimately could have turned out to be after losing 49 nothing to Texas. Is that Texas Tech game at night? I think we're just assuming that, right? 
Yeah. I think that the that last hasn't come out yet. Yeah, that hasn't okay. come out, but yeah. I think that the last three times we've been, it's all been at night. So yeah, I, I assume it will be at night. I actually have OU going four and one over the next five. I think they go up to Ames and I think they're able to take care of business there against Iowa State and create some real momentum. The two toughest opponents are in Norman. And so I think a lot of people look at that and go, okay, lose to those two teams, but they're those are home games. Like that's still tough to come into Norman and play, even though it's not as tough as we would like it to be or as scary as some other venues around the country. That's still um, intimidating. Now, my loss actually comes... intimidated by that. Ask, ask Iowa State, K-State, if, if they're intimidated coming to Norman. It's more so than when they go to, you know, West Virginia or Waco or somewhere like that, I imagine. Oklahoma State plays better in Norman than they do in Stillwater. <laughs> True. Yeah, we'll see. I get your point, though. Yeah, my loss is actually to Texas Tech, though. I just think that the road games are going to bite you at some point. I think OU finds a way to beat Baylor. We'll talk about Baylor in a moment and and how that season has gone. Oklahoma State looking really good, but somewhat quietly, their defense is still really bad. So that could just be an absolute shootout of, you know, hey, which quarterback's going to make the play? I know Tyler's come around. I think Spencer Sanders is a great quarterback, so you might disagree with me, but I'll take Dylan Gabriel in that particular matchup. And wow. it's still Bedlam. It's still a series that OU owns and doesn't lose very many you know, games twice in, uh, in a row in two years. So I think OU will find a way there. And maybe I'm just being you know, too much of an optimist, which I've been on this podcast, even through some of the dark uh, weeks that we've had. But I just maybe I'm just choosing to believe. We'll see. Well. First step to uh, admitting you have a problem is admitting you have a problem. So <laughs> I applaud you, Adam. You there think you that you take Gabriel over Sanders in a game tomorrow with both of them healthy? I can't believe yeah. I'm saying this, but I don't know if I'm there. <laughs> I, I just don't know how to respond to that <laughs> after the way this podcast has gone over the last two years of arguing over Spencer Sanders and how much you hate him. But, I, uh, I guess I guess the reason why I'm saying that is I would have more confidence in Spencer Sanders going against this Oklahoma defense than I will against oh, Gabriel that's fair. going against that's the fair. Cowboys defense. Yeah. I don't know if the defense matters. I, w- I would take Spencer Sanders right now. All right. We'll see. We'll see how this plays out. He's taller. How the turntables. Well, one thing that we did before the season started was we took a look around the entire country, made some predictions around teams from every Power 5 conference that we thought would be the most surprising, the most disappointing. And then we also took the pulse on who we thought might make the conference championship game in each of those conferences. So it's time to do a little review. There's been some good. There's been some really bad. Uh, I'll start with myself uh, in the ACC here. I had some pretty bad ones. Wake Forest as my most disappointing team. I compared them to Iowa State last year. And I think I was under the impression definitely that Sam Hartman was going to be out a lot longer than he actually was. He came back. He made me look silly. They look prepared. Um, they don't look like the Iowa State team that we saw last year at all. So um, I looked pretty bad on that one. I also looked pretty bad on my surprise team being Boston College. Um, they basically are the same thing that they've been. So two strikes uh, there for the ACC. On the other hand, you've got Corbin, who well, okay, let's keep, let's no keep going, Adam, because uh, I think you had NC State as your Atlantic win, uh, Division yeah. winner. You had Miami losing to NC State in the uh, ACC championship game. Let's just let's yeah. let's roll it through. I'll, I'll yeah. give you a quote on that one, too. <laughs> I said my number one rule as someone that grew up in the Raleigh, North Carolina area is to never, ever, ever trust the Wolfpack. And yet I went against my own advice that I just mentioned and regardless of whether Devin Leary's out the rest of the year, it did not look like the Wolfpack were heading in that direction at all. Miami, I guess, I don't know if they're statistically out of, you know, contingent for the coastal division, 
I don't think anyone's ever out in the Coastal Division. Two things games could back. turn in their favor. Yeah. yeah, they don't look good, though. They do not look good at all. Tyler, remind me, you you laughed at my uh, my ACC pick. A, a few laughs mm-hmm. along the way. Do you remember who I picked for the ACC championship game? Uh, I think you had North Carolina and Clemson. That's looking mm-hmm. pretty good right now. But, hey, yeah. somebody's going to win that other division opposite Clemson. And I honestly, with Drake May in his first year as quarterback for the Tar Heels, I did not see that happening whatsoever. Um, we'll see if they can close out on a good note, but North Carolina's looking good right now. So the, the only undefeated in the coastal, just, you know, throwing it out there. Okay. Well, and who was, who is my most disappointing team? You guys remember, uh, in the ACC, I'll, like I'll help, had... I'll help you. It, I'll help you. Uh, you both picked them for your, your conference, your conference game? championship game. Yeah. Okay. What Miami? Yeah. yeah, the you, yeah. the you, uh, yeah, dude, right there. The, yeah. Well, anytime you lose to Middle Tennessee State, I mean, there's what, what more can we say? It was a bad pick. We put too much faith in Mario Cristobal, Tyler Van Dyke. I don't know. I don't know. Live and learn. On to the next one. On to the next one, indeed. I, I thought you had a good one there with Florida State as your your surprise team. Eight to nine wins is what you said mm-hmm. you might. The right on pick pace. Them at. Looks like they're yep. yeah headed that direction. Yep. I guess. On the flip side, Tyler had Florida State as his most disappointing team. Nah. I think that I think jury's jury's still out. I think on Florida State, if you want my honest opinion, I mean they yeah. are what five and three, four and three right now. Uh, some some good wins almost make it interesting coming back against Clemson last week. Uh, honestly, probably should have had NC State. I, they're they're right there, guys. Uh, but you know, you look mm-hmm. down the stretch: Georgia Tech, Miami, Syracuse, Louisiana, Florida. There's one for sure loss in there. And outside of that, like, who knows? Uh, so I think that's still a toss-up on if FSU is uh, a surprise or disappointment. Mm-hmm. I think they'll do yeah. – I think they'll at least make a bowl game, which so. Tyler said that uh, I think they, they will not make a bowl game for the third straight year. Yes. Uh, it's still possible. <laughs> it's still possible. It's still possible. Yeah. I'm holding out hope. <laughs> we'll see. We shall I, see. So, yeah, I had Clemson, Clemson, Miami um, – statistically it's still possible it doesn't look that good for miami clemson i think honestly clemson's been a little bit better this year than i originally anticipated mm-hmm. dj's kind of bounced back in a big way um after that tough week one game uh, performance that he put up but yeah uh acc is looking pretty good a lot more competitive than i originally thought it was going to be mm-hmm. yeah and clemson... I'll, gi- I'll give you some credit on north carolina i'll give you a little <laughs> bit of credit about damn time Clemson go. was a team that I think I, I really wanted to not be good again, but it looks like they're a playoff team. And uh, there's even though there is more competition in the ACC, it just still doesn't feel like it's enough to. T- to tough one this week, Syracuse. Well, if it when was you've at got Syracuse, look out! But think it, yeah. it's in Death Valley, right? It's in yeah, Death Valley. It it's a night. It's a night it's kickoff. Right. It's eleven a.m. You know, it's eleven a.m. Oh, it's eleven a.m. Okay. Well, shoot. Central time. It'll be noon there. But yeah. But I think that one thing that that does prove, looking at the Clemson situation, you know, they've had to replace both coordinators. Uh, but Dabo Sweeney's still there, and they're still undefeated at this point right now. I think that that just kind of goes to show when you've got the athletes to compete, yep. um, that goes a long way. There's a there, when you've got the players, a lot of coaches can do good things with talent like that. So. Adam, move on to the Big Ten. How are we looking right there? How are the Nebraska yeah. Cornhuskers looking? Well, well hold I on. We'll get back from your pick. <laughs> but they just lost let's... to my pick, though. They didn't cover. Yeah. They didn't cover. Yeah. I didn't pick them to cover. But go Boilermakers. <laughs> um, I had Illinois as my surprise team. That looks spot that on. Yep. Um, they have go. a chance to they're, – they're leading the Big Ten West right now. Mm-hmm. Right behind them is the Purdue Boilermakers, also my pick for the Big Ten West. So – I'm looking pretty good there. Ohio State coming out of the East. I'm looking pretty good on that one. I'll 
let's address my most disappointing team because it's actually the next one on on Corbin's list as well. It was his most surprising team, which was Penn State. And I think that they were definitely headed to most surprising team up until this past Saturday. They got uh, walloped in kid. Ann Arbor. Yeah. yeah, it was it was bad. And now they go home to play Minnesota in a whiteout game. They go to Ohio State the following week. And then I think they finish out with like Indiana Rutgers, Michigan State. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of a weird, like, is it a turning point for Penn State? Or do they are they able to win out with the exception of Ohio State? I, I think this one's kind of up in the air still. But it is disappointing the way that they lost to the Wolverines, especially being I, what they were either up at half or down one at half. One of the things was real close. Six, yeah. It was like six, 15, yeah. 16 to 15 or 16, 14 or something like that. But regardless yeah. of the score, I don't think any of us expected Penn State to beat Ohio State or to beat Michigan. I think everybody was kind of no. like those are those are head and shoulders above yeah. everybody else. The guys favorable down the stretch. Minnesota four and two. Good opponent. Not great. Uh, then you go Indiana. That's three and four. Maryland tough game. Five and two. But it's at home. Uh, Rutgers three and three Michigan state, my disappointing team three and four. If, if you can run the table outside of, of losing to Ohio state, you got to take that, right? Like that's a great absolutely. season. Yeah, absolutely. If they go nine and three, that's still, still good enough for you. You think I think, that, I th- I think so. I th- yeah. would qualify it's, as a surprise team. I, I think that that's good enough yeah. too for, for James Franklin. I mean, yes, they were a top 10 team and you know, it's never, it's never easy going on the road to the big house, but you know, after, the way that they came out of halftime and you know got outscored almost you know thirty to nothing. I mean, yeah. is it good enough for Penn that. State fans though? Because they have exp- been they have been wanting a lot more out of James Franklin. I mean, he's recruited decent enough, but mm-hmm. they've had a few wins over Ohio State. They really don't have anything to show for it. They've never made the playoffs. I, they think they need I, to be just as good as Ohio State. I think I think this is very. I think that Penn State sits in a very similar pose, uh, position. Um, than like the the Texas A&M's or the old Misses of the world, uh, guys that have continued to, programs that have continued to recruit better and better. But no matter how good you do, you're always sitting behind the top two or three teams in that conference, and that's kind of where Penn State's at right now. Uh, I think that from a quarterback standpoint, Sean Clifford, uh, Penn State's going to have to upgrade because you're not beating Michigan, you're not beating Ohio State, unless you've got a league quarterback play in Penn State. James Franklin simply hasn't been able to find that consistently throughout his tenure uh, in uh, uh, at Penn State. But, guys, my most surprising team that I felt good about coming into this season in the Big Ten was Sparty. And Michigan State has proved me – this is probably – I would, which you guys will remind me, I promise you, to the listeners. Michigan State, this is probably my worst take – uh, of the preseason, thinking that they would have been in a competitor in the Big Ten Conference this season. Simply not the case. Yeah, I was I right on Wisconsin, though. You were right on Wisconsin being disappointing. I actually mentioned in regards to Michigan State as well that I think they had passed Penn State in that Big Ten East hierarchy. That looks wrong right now. We'll see how the rest of the season plays out, but it does not look like that's heading in the right direction at all as far as my yeah. prediction. So I was kind of right there with you, even though I didn't think Michigan State would be as good this year as they were last year. This is so, the uh, second straight conference where Tyler needs to apologize because Nebraska shouldn't have been laughed at. That, like looking now, they have everything in front of them in order to continue to have a chance at playing that, that Big Ten championship game. Not except, worth being laughed at. Except the tiebreaker over Purdue. You don't think Purdue can lose two games? The oh, they season? definitely could lose two games. Exactly. Underdog in Madison this weekend. Yeah. Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, Northwestern, Indiana, like and, and probably Nebraska pretty could good do the same. You pretty know what good I mean? Like, chance. Yeah. 
pretty good chance they lose two of those games. Yeah, and and, and Nebraska, Illinois, at Michigan, not 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 the easiest. So I'm not expecting them to show up there, but not laugh worthy. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. One thing that we all agreed on on the Big Ten was that we laughed at Iowa and their lack of offense, and that is spot on. Jesus. Uh, anything else here on the Big Ten, or is it time for Pac-12? Pac-12, please. Oh Pac-12. Pac-12, my most surprising team I was feeling really good about uh, was Washington. They, they started off the season really well, mm-hmm. I think definitely surprising, getting a lot of national attention. Uh, yeah. Then they turn around, I think, have lost the last two in a row, uh, one to Arizona State, so not particularly a, a good loss. But I think things are still trending. They won last week. Yes. He's the the Arizona. Yeah. Okay. Uh, The week before that, they lost to Arizona State, I believe. Yeah. So I guess things are are going well for the Huskies. Um, I don't know if I'd consider it surprising necessarily, but trending upward uh, for for a program that had kind of lost its way. And I think people still kind of have a sour taste in their mouth about Washington. You know, they started the year out so good, and then they went into that big-time matchup, um, you know, in L.A. against UCLA. And UCLA mm-hmm. kind of took it to them. So that kind of painted – that kind of gave them a black eye uh, in the world of college football uh, across the national landscape. But, you know, they got a chance to bounce back this weekend. They're seven-and-a-half-point uh, favorite on the road going to Cal. And we'll see if Michael Penix Jr. can keep things rolling for the Huskies. Yeah. On the flip side, my most disappointing team was USC, who that looked like a really bad pick. They ended up losing by one point on the road in Salt Lake City. And I still think that's a pretty bad pick. There is some time, though, for Lincoln Riley to lose to a team he shouldn't to make everyone lose their mind uh, before they realize, well, that's just who he is and that's what he does. Adam, um, I don't, Adam, man, not I, a lot of competition on the schedule, though. Tell me if Arizona, I'm wrong. Now, Colorado, Notre Dame, the tough ones, USC or um, UCLA. That that's it. So yeah. we're yeah, but guys, were we completely wrong about how good USC was going to be, or did we just not? I don't know. Be maybe it was because of the good. fact. No, I, I think that they're good too. But are they good because it's a solid football team, or are they good because they've got Caleb Williams, probably the best quarterback in the country right now, continually saving them over the past, which. I mean, USC kind of looks like what we saw from Oklahoma uh, 2016, yeah. 17, 18. So. I think the difference there is that that defense in uh, in USC got a ton of turnovers in the first couple of games. Mm-hmm. And they won some of those by a lot bigger margins than they probably should have and looked like a really good team. And now those turnovers are not as easily found in the last couple of games. And so they've won. What's USC schedule? Ones. What's the rest of that look like? Pretty easy, man. I, yeah, I just mentioned it. They've got uh, Arizona, Cal, Colorado. UCLA, Notre Dame, uh, outside That's of UCLA, pretty, yeah, at least. At and least. then, so yeah, I, I was, this was probably my, my most proud moment and, and obviously a long way to go, but I had USC win in this conference over Utah in redemption, which obviously just happened last week. So that, that pick's still alive, but guys, you look at, uh, it's gonna, I think it's going to be hard to keep out both UCLA and Oregon at this point. Um, Trying to take a look here at schedules. Obviously, a big one between those two and uh, this weekend, which will give them both their first loss. I, I just don't see how neither one of those teams go, so I'm not overly confident in my pick on that one now. Yeah, I had Utah versus Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. Obviously, Utah's got a loss uh, at the hands of UCLA, and the Utes have to go to Eugene here at the very end of the season. So That may decide it. That might decide who gets that second spot. But, yeah. I mean, as far as the surprising team, um, I picked Oregon State to start the year out. I didn't say that, you know, I expected them to win the Pac-12 by any means, but I expected them to be extremely competitive and maybe not win 
the conference title, but they were going to ruin somebody's chances to win the conference title. And I think they're sitting at fourth or fifth right now at two and two in conference play. Mm -hmm. And then guys feel like we say this every, every year we nailed Stanford, David Shaw. Yes. I know that you just beat a really, (laughs) really bad Notre Dame team. (laughs) They were expected to win like three games this year. And Tyler is disappointed in them. They've already won two. I'm disappointed in any team that doesn't win that doesn't win more than five football games when they pay their head coach ten million dollars. I'm sorry, they, so. they just won at Notre Dame. I think that's like pretty, Notre pretty Dame's solid win. trash. They lost by one to your Oregon State Beavers. I mean, They're like Beavers. I mean, I, I don't. Know. I would I say know I've been surprised that Stanford has been more competitive than I've expected them uh, to same, be. Same, honestly. Yeah. Well, SEC. Tyler doesn't uh, understand the assignment, so I understood the assignment within the SEC. Look who Tyler's surprise team was in the in the Southeast are we, Conference are we this already year. Moving on from the Pac-12. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, let's let's go let's go SEC. We'll start with we'll start with Tyler. Work our way back up here. Tyler had Tennessee <laughs> yeah, surprising. He thought he thought that they would win eight games, <laughs> eight or nine <laughs> games. I said nine. Well, it's even an asterisk on your best your best guesses. <laughs> <laughs> Eight or nine wins was what Tyler called a surprise for Tennessee, a program that won seven games the year before. I, <laughs> I just can't do anything but laugh at that. Like, I yes, Tennessee is very good, but I don't think we were are surprised about this, are we? I, we're, I'm we, surprised they're we, this good. Yeah, okay. you expect them to be seven and zero, beat and Alabama, beat, beat Alabama, no, for the first time in 16 years. They they look like the best team in the SEC right now. They might be the best yeah. team in the country. The middle Ohio we'll State see. would be fun if they played tomorrow. I, d- I did get LSU wrong, and I'll admit that. I did not expect Brian Kelly to to be five and two at this point in the season right now. Um, Corbin, I'll chalk that I, up to you. Let me you give you some coming. credit for LSU, though, Tyler. This was another one where you basically said, I expect them to do exactly what everyone expected them to do, but you called them disappointing. So I don't know that. They they're what, four and two right now? Like two, five, five and two at this point. Two? Just went on the road That's and beat it. Florida. I know Florida's is not that a juggernaut bad. or anything, but is that yeah, disappointing but, already? I mean, they're, three, they're three and one in conference. Like LSU has a chance to they control their destiny in yeah. in the SEC West. So they're favorites against Ole Miss this week. Which is crazy since it's not even a night game there. I'm I really think that surprised they're I think that happens. I think LSU so, I, mean, I think LSU gets that done. They could it's be not, far from not disappointing. On, not on your betting card. Well, it's it's minus one and a half. I'm not. It's essentially a pick'em at this point right now. I don't know. I've kind of had to change my betting strategy. I feel like I'm I'm betting too many games that I have a rooting interest in, so that gets me burnt far too. It, many it's times. not crazy to think with with, and, and I don't think this happens. But LSU beats Ole Miss. What if Mississippi State pulls a shocker in Tuscaloosa and LSU sitting atop of the SEC West? Be crazy. I don't think either Al- one of those Alabama's things is not happen. invincible. No, they're not. Al- not at no. all. So, Corbin, your uh, surprising, disappointing teams from the SEC. I have to remember here. Who did I have? I had you had Ole, LSU. I had, I had Ole Miss yeah. as my disappointing team. Clearly wrong on that one. Um, but I'm Their season to... starts this week, though. That yeah, schedule I, they, is they easy. They could still disappoint. There's still room for that. Yeah. I mean, their best win is Kentucky. Yeah. And, and I don't know how good Kentucky is, but now you go LSU on the road. A&M on the road, Bama at home, Arkansas on the road, and the Mississippi State at home. That's pretty tough. Uh, and so, yeah, I think jury's still out. But it, I think at this point, a 7-0 Mississippi, like I'm, I'm clearly wrong that that was a, a disappointing team, regardless of what happens down the stretch. Yeah. 
for uh, my m- most disappointing team, I had Texas A&M nailed it. Uh, that seemed almost too easy there. On the flip side, I did not nail my most surprising team, which was Auburn, which I basically said, hey, if they win like seven or eight games, that's a huge surprise. Um, and I kind of picked them just because there's so many teams in the SEC that have high expectations. Um, it's hard to surprise if you are expected to win a lot. So that's why I went with the Tigers, and they've basically been exactly as bad or maybe even worse than what a lot of yeah. people thought they were. Um, so Guys, after seeing, there. after seeing the way that Alabama and Georgia have played so far this season, obviously Alabama is not near as dominant as what we anticipated them to be coming into the season. Georgia's kind of had some close calls two out of the last three weeks. Which one do you feel le- least confident in about them reaching Atlanta? Is it Bama or is it Georgia? It's got to be Bama, right? Tennessee I, looks good, though. <laughs> Bryce Young is the best player um, in between the two teams, and he plays quarterback. So I, I love what he's able to do and what he's able to create. Georgia's defense is a lot better. That's true. Georgia has played almost nobody since that Oregon game. <laughs> And they really won't until they play Tennessee on uh, October 29th. And I, and I think you see it in their play. I think they know. Like, they're not playing anybody who can really touch them, and they just haven't played that well. I Yeah. Oregon all of a sudden has become a very good team, and, like, I think you saw a major difference between the Georgia team that was like, we're going up against a good opponent versus the yep. Georgia team in the past few weeks who just have skated by. I think down the stretch, they're going to be awake for Florida. They're going to be awake for, for uh, Tennessee, Mississippi State, and Kentucky down the stretch that's not easy and so i think yeah we're gonna find a lot out about georgia here in the next few weeks but i I don't know guys tennessee looks like the best team in the country and they're in that that division i think that this is a fascinating conversation that we could have maybe save it for a later date and time but guys there's a you're already hearing it talked about in the national media all the talking heads are are pointing this out but there's a very realistic situation where Mm -hmm. you could finish the sec you could walk out of atlanta after, at the conclusion of the SEC championship, and you could have three one-loss SEC why is, teams. Why isn't that possible, Adam? Well, I, I'm just shaking my head because we always have the same conversation every you single technically year. Talking four. About you could technically have four. You could technically have all these SEC, SEC teams get in, and what if they all have one loss? What do you do then? Oh, yeah, the, the and narrative it never plays starting. out. It never plays out. It's already started. Now that now that USC is lost, now that there's no clear-cut team in the in the Big 12, I don't even know if TCU gets that much consideration at this point right now. We'll see how the mm-hmm. season continues to play out, but there's a very real possibility that you could you could have three, possibly even four, one-loss SE teams at the end of the regular season. Well, we'll so get back to that, that here. that possible? Because Ole Miss could win out except for losing to Alabama. So there, mm-hmm. so Ole Miss finishes at 11-1. and one. Georgia, or Georgia beats Tennessee. Georgia wins the East. And then Alabama beats Georgia in Atlanta, yeah, so you so you got four one loss teams. We can sort this out when we go through our four best teams in college football in a second. Let's uh, wrap up with the Big Twelve predictions here. I Fuck. had had a, had a decent hit there in <laughs> regards to Baylor as my most disappointing team. I think they're kind of headed that direction. They have three losses so far: BYU, uh, who am I missing? Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, State, and then West Virginia on the road. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like they've been quietly very disappointing because Oklahoma has been obviously the most disappointing team in the conference. So no one's really paying much attention to Baylor. They were the media darling, but it is what it is. 
And then for my most surprising team, I had Texas Tech. I don't think that they're headed that direction. There's still some time, but they kind of look like the same team that they've been the last couple of years where they might be dangerous, but man, they're just not going to win too many games um, just yet. So that one looks wrong. Corbin? TCU for my most surprising team. Nailed it. Look like a goddamn genius out here. Uh, (laughs) I I mean, half of of my Big 12 championship predictions, right? I was with you, Adam. I thought Baylor would be disappointing, but Big 12 championship, I had Bedlam. I think Oklahoma State has a a great shot to get there. I think them and TCU, that's the the first two matchups, if I had to guess right now. Um, I don't know. I I would put more credit in my TCU surprise pick than than Tyler's surprise K-State pick. I think most people thought K-State would be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I'm happy with my K-State pick. I obviously would be a lot happier if they wouldn't have lost at home to to Tulane, but uh K-State was good for me. West Virginia, I don't know if you could basically say that West Virginia is a disappointing team at this uh, at yeah, this point tough. in the season. I mean, yes, they did lose at home to Kansas, like they lost to Pitt, but you know, they've got a couple of solid wins, um, you know, with the most recent one being against Baylor at home. So uh, Oklahoma has been a disappointment. I had OU versus Baylor in the big 12 championship game. Uh, one for sure is not going to make it Baylor. Uh, the other, uh, need a little bit of help. So, uh, yeah, um, TCU K state, that's kind of the upper echelon of the big 12 right now. Um, and guys, I hate to say it, but Texas only has one loss in conference play. Don't rule out, don't rule out Texas at this point. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Yeah. The do we want to do the best four teams in college football right now, or the four that we well, think will make? I the thought playoffs? that this would be an interesting argument, talking about like who your top four would be, like if the if it was if you were talking about playoff at this point, or and then also who do you think are the four best teams in college football? I can start if you guys want to think about it. Go ahead, because I think if you're looking at strictly the four best teams in college football, I've got Ohio State at one, Georgia at two, Tennessee at three. Michigan at four, and then at five and six, if we're doing like the playoff show, I've got Bama at five, Clemson at six, even though Alabama does have the one loss. If I'm looking at playoffs right now, I've got Tennessee number one. They're undefeated in the SEC. They're undefeated total on their schedule. They've got road wins at, uh, or they've got wins against Florida, and then they just, they've got the best win of the season at home against number three, uh, Alabama. So Tennessee one, Ohio State two, Georgia three. And then if I'm having to choose between Michigan and Clemson, Michigan's schedule has been a little easier than Clemson's in totality compared to the season, but Michigan has a much better win than Clemson with what they just did at home against Penn State, a fellow top-10 team as well. So Tennessee, Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan would be my playoff at this point right now. Yeah, I think Tennessee, Georgia, Bama, and then – I would say Ohio State, although they really have not played anybody good. Best wins are Notre Dame and Wisconsin. For your playoff uh, or your best four? As for my best four teams. Um, if I was going for playoff, I think it will be Georgia, Clemson, hmm. Ohio State. Is that your, is that your order? Uh, no, not necessarily my order. Okay. Um, okay. Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson would be my order. And then fourth, I think I will go with Tennessee. You have Clemson ranked ahead of Tennessee? I just think that's how it will fall at the end of the day because I think Clemson Mm -hmm. will go undefeated and I think Tennessee will lose to Georgia. So I think Tennessee will be that fourth seed. Yeah. Ohio State, Georgia, Tennessee, Clemson will probably be my top four. That's fair. Um, Clemson's got, I think, a couple more ranked wins than than Michigan. Um, 
they've got the, the Wake Forest win and the NC State win. Wake Forest currently is 13th, NC State's 23rd. And Michigan, do they have a, a win outside of the Penn State one that's a uh, a ranked win? Iowa's probably their next best win. Maryland, maybe. I mean, there's nobody else even ranked in yeah. the Big Ten outside of yeah. Illinois, Michigan, Ohio State, and, and Penn State. So I would give the slight edge to uh, to Penn, uh, to um, Clemson. They they didn't look great early in the year, but I think they've really found a stride. Yeah. And if they can go if they can go beat Syracuse, that there's another one. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think Clemson, and then you'd have uh, Michigan at at five for me, um, and then. <sighs> I don't know, guys. Are we not giving TCU enough love? Like, there's just so many tough games in the Big Twelve. Like, are are they going to run out of gas at some point? Even though they're probably a solid team, but they got to go undefeated, don't they? Maybe, but that's the question. Is like Alabama six and one, and then you've got three undefeated teams behind them: Mississippi, TCU, UCLA. Would we take any of those three teams over Bama right now? There's an argument to be made from what we saw from Bama last week. There's an argument to be made they could all beat them. A and M should have beat them. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think Texas should have beat them. Texas the Big 12's best hope is that Alabama loses again and then beats maybe whoever's in the SEC title game, or maybe loses again to officially knock themselves out and only one SEC team gets in, which is pretty much the hope for any conference that is trying to find their way in the playoff. And Pac-12 is not dead necessarily, like USC, Utah, Oregon. UCLA, I think they're all still in contention there, but um, there's some quality wins left on uh, some of the schedules in the Pac-12, which we haven't had in recent years. If UCLA wins this weekend, obviously that puts them in a really good position, but that would also knock Oregon out, out, out Mm -hmm. of anything. And I I agree. I think USC is still plenty alive. And you look at that schedule, guys. Arizona's a win. Cal's a win. Colorado's a win. And Notre Dame's a win. Then it comes down to that probably a top eight matchup at that point between them and UCLA. If UCLA runs the table as well, that could be potentially the first of two battles between those two teams. But it could also be a deciding factor. If if USC can go in and run the table with a win against UCLA two weeks before the season ends, and then could potentially, be a could potentially playing them again or playing playing Utah, playing Oregon, like. If USC wins out, they're probably in. Yeah, the media and the pressure to get them in will be tremendous for sure. Is it time to put our money where our mouths are? The best part of the entire podcast? That's right. Let's do it. All right, guys. Uh, Adam stretches his lead uh, in first place now at 18, 14, and 3. Tyler, 17, and 18. And uh, last but not least, fifteen and twenty for me. I could re- I could use a good week. Uh, thankfully, another betting groups had a five and zero week last week, so it's not all doom and gloom. Just is on this podcast. So let's hop right into it. Adam as the first place uh, uh, position. Who is your first pick for the week? Uh, let me first apologize to Tyler for only having one Power Five game on my card this week. There's going to be a lot of teams that you don't recognize, Tyler. Um, sorry about that. Mm-hmm. I'm going with Cincinnati at SMU. Cincinnati coming off a of bye week. I'm going to take them minus one and a half in the first half. The Bearcats and SMU both have really great offenses, but only one team has a great defense, and that's the Bearcats. So I think they can take care of business, especially in the first half. 
Yeah, I prioritize Power 5 football on this podcast, so pick number one for me. I'm staying right here in the Big 12. Kansas State traveling to Fort Worth to take on TCU. TCU favored by three and a half points. Um, I think I'm going to go with the Horn Frogs on this one, guys. Uh, it's the battle of the top two teams in the conference. I know that Kansas State is coming off of a bye week, but when looking at this K-State team, yes, I know that they've got the you know the two-headed monster of Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn, but I go back and I look and see what Oklahoma did against this Kansas State uh, defense, putting up over 30 points. Really, the only problems that Oklahoma had against Kansas State were self-inflicted when OU stopped themselves. So when I look and see what the skill, talent, and the quarterback position that Max Duggan has got around him in Fort Worth, I think the TCU is a really good story. They're hot right now. Give me TCU to cover the three and a half. It really is the worst, Adam, when you pick all these teams because I can't search for them by conference because I don't know what conference they're in. Uh, so thanks for that whenever we go to wrap up the games each week. Uh, I'm going to go out to Big Ten country, uh, Iowa at Ohio State. I'm going to go over 49. I do think that Iowa defense is really good. I think Ohio State is too good. They may score 50 themselves. Um, so give me the Buckeyes and the Hawkeyes going over 49 points. Sorry, it's uh, hard to hear all you guys talking about my uh, group of five picks up here in first place. I'm going with uh, Florida International. That's FIU plus 14 and a half at Charlotte, two of the worst teams uh, in all of Power Five. Charlotte, though, dead last in total defense. So I think the Panthers can keep this one within two touchdowns. Yeah, FIU, you can go ahead and leave out the I. Pick number two for me, Mississippi State going on the road to Tuscaloosa. I'm sorry, Adam, that was uncalled for. (laughs) Alabama is a massive favorite at home. I think right now it's a 21-point favorite over the Bulldogs in Tuscaloosa. We all know about Alabama and Nick Saban. When they come off of a loss, they come out of the gate pissed off and basically take all their anger out on whichever opponent rolls into the stadium on that given Saturday. So with that being the case, Mike Leach and Mississippi State, I'm sorry, guys, but you're going to get the wrath of saving this weekend. Alabama minus 12 first half. I'm going to stay in that exact same game. I'm going to take the over 61 and a half. Uh, I'm praying pick. That, that Mike Leach doesn't uh, let me down here and, and come out with the dugs. I think both these offenses will score, but Mississippi State hasn't been quite as good on offense recently. Hopefully after what uh, was put on film against Tennessee, he can find some gaps to expose over 61 and a half. Mississippi State, very good at home, very bad on the road. Yep. Adam, where are we going, buddy? This is the Mountain West Conference for those that don't know their conferences. I've got Colorado State versus Hawaii taking the under on 46 and a half. Two teams with really bad defenses, but also really bad offenses. So I don't think that there's going to be a whole ton of points here. And I think Colorado State, being that they're the favorite, I think they can keep this a little bit lower scoring. Uh, uh, okay, P- uh, pick number f- uh, three for me, staying in the Big 12, Kansas traveling to Waco to take on the Baylor Bears. Uh, two teams that are both coming off of a loss right now. Kansas's defense just faced over 100 plays against Dylan Gabriel in this Oklahoma offensive attack. Baylor's got a couple more days uh, of rest since they played on Thursday night last weekend in Morgantown. Coming back home, I think that this team is going to come out, play inspired. Dave Aranda will have this group ready. Give me Baylor out of the gate, minus four and a half in the first half. I really want to take Kansas plus eight. That just feels like such a trap. Um, Blake Shapin might not play. Bum, bum, that, that, bum, that could be bum, better bum. for Baylor. Um, I, I have made a, a history going against the Jayhawks, um, and it feels wrong to take them. Uh, I'm going to regret this. Baylor minus eight. Woo! 
I don't like it. No, no, I'm changing it back. Give me Kansas plus eight. <laughs> oh. All right. <laughs> we'll oh, see if that last about. minute change uh, pays off. Nope, nope, nope. Baylor. Baylor. Final answer. Baylor. All right. Um, I am was accused of hating the troops back during baseball season when the Air Force came to town and uh, lost you to the Sooners. The Not anymore. Out, Thank you for your service. I'm going with Air Force minus two and a half in the first half against Boise State. Even though the Broncos are coming off their bye week, they're going on the road to Air Force, and the Falcons are, are running through teams right now, so I think they're able to take at least a field goal lead into the half. It feels like I say this about one of my picks each and every week. This one feels way too good to be true, but this is a battle of two undefeated teams, Syracuse traveling to Clemson, South Carolina, to take on the Tigers. Clemson is a 13.5-point favorite. If this game, kind of like what you alluded to earlier in the podcast, Corbin, if this, if this game was in the Dome at Syracuse, I would give the Orange Men a little bit more of a chance in this one, but I think that Clemson, um, I, it's what, an 11 a.m. kickoff? Is, is that right? Is it an early game? Noon, noon Eastern. No, noon Eastern? Okay, so I think in this one, um, talent wins out in this one. So give me Clemson big against Syracuse. They will cover the 13-and-a-half number. I'm going to stay right there. I'm just uh, riding your coattails uh, this week, Tyler. Cuse uh, at Clemson, give me the over 50 all right. Sorry, Tyler. I am out of teams that you don't know about. Um, if you have trouble remembering them, you can just remember that I'm in first place ahead of you. So here's two teams that you have heard of Arizona state plus three at Stanford sun devils coming off a of bye week Emory Jones and uh, probably the best running back or one of the better running backs in this game Zavian Valade coming to Palo Alto there. I think they're going to be able to run all over the Stanford defense in a way that Notre Dame really wasn't able to. I like that pick. I'll give you some credit on there. Pick number five for me. I'm going back out <clears throat> to the Big Ten. Minnesota traveling to take on Penn State. Penn State is a four-and-a-half-point favorite right here. Um, this is kind of an interesting one for me, uh, but i got a couple factors why I'm rolling with the Nittany Lions in this one. It is a wide-out night game. Penn State always gets up for that. And then Minnesota, it's rumored that they are going to be playing without their starting quarterback who got hurt a week ago. So for that reason, four and a half seems like a good number. Give me the Nittany Lions to cover against Minnesota. I don't know who Minnesota is, but good there, good pick there, Tyler. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to – I'm kind of torn on this one, guys. I've got Texas at Oklahoma State, giving Oklahoma State uh, the plus six. I've also got A&M minus three because I think South Carolina is that bad. Uh, Oklahoma State plays Texas well. Give me the Pokes plus six up in Stillwater. Nice. We're, we're rooting for full... Oklahoma State there, right? Yes. Yes. Yes, okay. and you're rooting for South Carolina. A little Beamer ball this weekend. Yep, go go Rattler. Uh, <laughs> yeah, God, that's we'll going to feel weird. Yeah, I hope he no does score. play well, though. Yeah, no score prediction this week because there's no OU game. We'll be back the following week with a preview of Iowa State. And uh, who knows what else might come up between now and then. So we appreciate everyone listening to the main line. If you made it this far, give us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod and check out our YouTube page as well by searching for the Mainline Podcast. Until next week, we will see everyone again. I guess no game this Saturday. So enjoy your college slate of uh, Saturday games, and we will see everyone again next week on the Mainline Podcast.